You are listening to community-supported radio, KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Monday, November 9th. I'm Charlotte Peterson, and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. For their support, we'd like to thank Scraps Cat and Dog Bakery, open 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Monday through Saturday, offering deliveries and curbside pickup at 2034 Nevada City Highway next to B&C Hardware, 530-274-4493. Doctors Carolyn and Gregory Weiswasser provide integrative women's and family health care, digestive analysis, hormone optimization, and more. Located on East Main Street, Grass Valley. Serving Central California since 2004. Whitewaternaturopathic.com And Zilmer Law Group, a real estate and business law firm with offices on Broad Street in Nevada City, also Santa Rosa. Jay Zilmer has been practicing law in California since 1983. Information, ZilmerLawGroup.com Following NPR headlines and regional weather, we have this week's water news with hydrogeologist Steve Baker. We bring you today's national native news. What's in President-elect Biden's plan to combat COVID-19? NPR reports. Closing out today's newscast, we have Jim Hightower with a commentary. At 6.30, we bring you Wings. And at 7, Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. But first, NPR headlines followed by regional weather. Live from NPR News, I'm Jack Spear. Another grim milestone for the coronavirus in the U.S., with the number of confirmed cases exceeding the 10 million mark. Meanwhile, the U.S. death toll from COVID-19 is approaching 238,000, according to the Johns Hopkins University Coronavirus Resource Center. Earlier today, President-elect Joe Biden previewed heightened efforts to fight the coronavirus and again urged people to wear a mask during what he said will be a dark winter. The projections still indicate we could lose 200,000 more lives in the coming months before a vaccine can be made widely available. So we can't forego the important work that needs to be done between now and then to get our country through the worst wave yet in this pandemic. Infections are rising in nearly every state in the country as colder weather moves in. Daily confirmed coronavirus cases are up 60 percent over the past two weeks. President Trump has fired Defense Secretary Mark Esper. It's the latest staff shakeup with the Trump administration since Election Day. NPR's Aisha Roscoe reports Trump has yet to concede and is pledging to continue lawsuits contesting the outcome. The central Texas town of Bastrop, just east of... President Trump says that Mark Esper will be replaced by the director of the National Counterterrorism Center, Christopher Miller. Trump said in a tweet that Esper had been terminated, though he didn't provide any explanation for his removal. Esper is the highest profile departure from the administration in recent days. But at least three other agency heads have been removed or demoted since the election, including the chairman of the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. While Trump has refused to concede, his campaign has offered no evidence that would overturn the thousands of votes necessary across multiple states for him to claim a second term. Aisha Roscoe, NPR News. President Trump and his GOP allies continue to claim there were election irregularities in the counting of presidential votes in five states. NPR's John Burnett has more on that story. 
The central Texas town of Bastrop, just east of Austin, is Trump country. To a person, the voters we interviewed here parrot the president's claims that he's the victim of a sprawling multi-state conspiracy to steal the election. And the more the mainstream networks and newspapers report that there is no evidence of vote fraud, the more Trump's followers believe the fake news media are part of the scheme. Max Faubus is a 75-year-old retired building inspector. Personally, I do believe that there's been fraud. The mail-out ballots as a first-time deal has been handled totally inappropriately. Even as judge after judge tosses out the president's legal challenges, his followers steadfastly believe that Trump won re-election. John Burnett, NPR News. On Wall Street, the Dow was up 834 points. The Nasdaq fell 181 points. This is NPR. Celebrations across Europe erupted after the U.S. presidential election was called for Democrat Joe Biden Saturday. NPR's Eleanor Beardsley reports many leaders are expressing optimism for a return to the close transatlantic relationship. Parisian Francis Tiar says he's come out to the mini Statue of Liberty on the Seine River to pay tribute to democracy. The French people consider our relationship with America very important, he says, and we hope it will be even better under President Biden. Western Europeans are eager to renew close ties with the U.S. after four years of strain under the Donald Trump presidency. But transatlantic relations expert Maud Kessar says things won't be the same. European leaders, they think that going back to the old days and the old international liberal order as it was before Trump, it's an illusion. Kessar says Europe has gained independence in the last four years and is ready to assert its own political, economic and military priorities. Eleanor Beardsley in Pure News, Paris. Federal regulators say they're requiring online conferencing platform Zoom to step up security measures. The agreement part of the deal reached with the company over allegations it misled users about its level of security for meetings. The settlement was announced by the Federal Trade Commission. A complaint filed with the agency accuses Zoom of deceiving users over security for a period of years. It's also accused the company of holding on to cryptographic keys allow it to access content from user meetings. Crude oil futures prices followed stocks higher. Oil up $3.15 a barrel today to forty twenty nine a barrel in New York. I'm Jack Spear, NPR News. Now for regional weather. According to the National Weather Service, in the Grass Valley, Nevada City area, tonight will be mostly clear with a low around 29. Tuesday will be sunny with a high near 53 and overnight lows near 32 with mostly clear skies. Tonight in Sacramento, widespread frost is possible after 4 a.m., otherwise mostly clear with a low around 32. There is a freeze warning in effect for the Sacramento region from 1 a.m. through 8 a.m. tomorrow. And tomorrow in the Sacramento region, skies will be sunny with a high near 62 and partly cloudy skies overnight with a low around 38. In Truckee tonight, skies will be mostly clear with a low around 10. Tuesday will be sunny with a high near 45 and a low around 12 with mostly clear skies overnight. And in Angels Camp tonight, skies will be mostly clear with a low around 33. Tuesday will be sunny with a high near 57 and partly cloudy skies overnight with a low around 35.
This water news with Steve Baker is supported by Clearwater and Filtration on Rough and Ready Highway, Grass Valley. Well, it's time for water news with Steve Baker. Steve, uh, needless to say, a lot has happened this last oh, week. Yes. Uh, wow, we have now identified our president-elect, and that might reflect changes at the federal level. What are you looking at as the types of changes that might happen with Biden as president? Oh. Uh, there will be many, many changes, but you know what? It's going to be a, a tough response by the new White House. We need to try to heal relations between the Democrats and the Republicans. And uh, so there, there has to be a lot of listening to understand going on. You know, here's some of the items that could change pretty darn fast. The, the October memo uh, from EPA arguing about the Clean Air Act, uh, it was to give the states the flexibility to administrate air pollution requirements, and even some exemptions. That probably will disappear very quickly. Rejoining the Paris Climate Accord. We're coming back. I, I, they've said that they will be rejoining. And then there are those issues. Those, uh, they'll be issuing stop work orders on things that are in process or maybe haven't been actually sent and published to the uh, Federal Register uh, so uh, those things will be stopped because it, it's not consistent with the, the the agenda of our new president-elect. And then also, uh, likewise, pending lawsuits uh, over regulations, those probably also will be will be stopped. There are quite a few actions that will likely happen, really, all of these things, on day one. Yeah. How about things like the endangered species uh, controversies. And might that change as well? Uh, yeah, that may take more than day one. Yeah. <laughs> but but all these things are being looked at. Yeah. Well, a lot of the things were, were uh, presidential orders. I mean, they weren't voted in by the Congress. And, That's correct. And Biden can just change those on his own. Yeah. Those. Um, what about this proposed secret science rule? I don't know much about that. Tell us about it. You know, I wasn't that familiar with it either, although back in April of 2018, there was a proposal that would bar the agency, meaning the EPA, from using scientific research that isn't or can't be made public. So initially it sounds like, well, yeah, we want everything to be public. But the issue is, is actually this. Some of this data is used for, for regulations, but if the public was to have it available, it couldn't be used anymore. And it's vital information that supports this, uh, this, this work. And really, the data we're talking about are from epidemiological studies, which we draw from private medical information, which means that all your private uh, information would then become available to the public. And that becomes the issue. Now, now this has been the approach that's been used for over 10 years. And uh, and the Trump administration was attempting to to uh, change that. So that's what that is. And it looks we'll see what happens. You mentioned that the U.S. would likely be back in the Paris Accord. Uh, what about CO2 related issues? You know, that could very well be a difficult one because some of the final rules have already been made by the Trump administration. Uh, new uh, rulemakings. It takes a lot of years. And it causes a lot of heated debates, and it really can lead to many court cases. An example is the long-term regulatory reversals for some kinds of environmental consequences that uh, consider the approval of new oil wells and pipelines and highways and other big, big projects. It uh, will be very difficult turning those around if they are now in the hopper and, 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 and beginning. 
setting greenhouse gas emissions uh, limits uh, may have to be readdressed, too, because that had been tampered with. And this is going to impact a lot of power plants. So you can imagine the support uh, to, to not reverse what Trump has, has already done. What will the impacts uh, be of uh, any of these uh, changes or not changes here in the foothills? Well, I mean, we're all concerned about the impacts of climate change. So uh, the decisions that will be made will have uh, hopefully positive impacts on, on our ability to adapt to climate change. And it may not be things that will affect us in the next year or two, but instead in many years ahead from now because of the, how long it takes for these, these changes to manifest within our climate. Depending on what happens with the greenhouse gas emissions debate, oil prices may go up. It's, it's hard to say. As far as the waterways, uh, the waters of the U.S., uh, we will see. The Trump administration narrowed the definitions that eliminated uh, sort of a more broad interpretation that the Obama and the Reagan administrations had for waterways. So we will see. It sounds a lot like there's going to be a litigation up ahead and probably a fair amount of it. And nobody really knows what's going to happen. So it seems to me that that this administration shift, as we see it today, is going to add really a lot of uncertainty to our management and also the use of, of natural resources. And it's truly a time that we need to be very objective and honest as we communicate with, uh, with the different sides of the, of the aisle. Managing groundwater is Steve Baker's career and passion, and that has led him into working on all water sources and supplies. This has been another conversation with KVMR's water guy, Steve Baker. You can email him with your questions at stevebaker at operationunite.co. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. As vote tallies from key states came in over the weekend, Joe Biden claimed victory as president of the United States. Biden and running mate Kamala Harris both mentioned Native Americans in speeches to the nation Saturday. Native people across the country were among those reacting to election projections. Carol Cadu Blackwood from Lawrence, Kansas, was a Democratic National Convention delegate. She's hopeful a Biden administration would work on efforts to end violence against women. I work in the field of sexual violence and domestic violence education, awareness and prevention. So I, I can see where they're going to push and promote VAWA and then... And I'm excited to see the implementation of the Banners Act. Danielle Steele from Atlanta, Georgia, says she's excited to see a woman of color as vice president. You know, having people of color in in these leadership positions, it matters. Because even, even if it's not, you know, a native, like, we see the things that we can be and we can do. James Brew is from the Fort Berthold Reservation. I'm feeling a little more upbeat about where the country could potentially go. Um, I, I live in North Dakota and the oil industry has been pretty much the driving force behind economics here for a decade or so. And uh, it's fair to say my tribe has benefited from oil and gas development, but the environment and other facets of our lives as indigenous people have suffered, unfortunately. But I am looking forward to uh, responsible development of our resources 
as well as more protections. The native vote is credited for record turnout across the country and in key states of Wisconsin, Michigan, and Arizona. Biden and Harris have promised Native Americans would have a seat at the table in their administration. President Trump has not conceded defeat in the presidential election. Alaska's only reservation locked down over the weekend. That's after officials with Metlakatla Indian Community announced the Southeast Alaska Village's first COVID-19 case. Eric Stone reports. With strict travel protocols in place, Metlakatla avoided the coronavirus for nearly eight months after it arrived in nearby Ketchikan in March. But that streak ended last week. A 72-hour lockdown took effect Friday. Judith Eaton is Metlakatla Indian Community's secretary. The general public must quarantine at home until the contact tracing procedures are completed. Officials say the unnamed positive individual was immediately isolated after receiving their test results. Local and state health authorities are investigating the source of the infection. Classes at Metlakatla schools were canceled Friday and several businesses announced that they would close, but Metlakatla's primary grocery store remains open. Face masks and six-foot distancing are now mandatory in public settings throughout the Inet Islands Reserve. Eden asks residents to abide by a few simple steps. Wear your mask, wash your hands, be safe, be aware. Ketchikan is seeing its highest case numbers since the pandemic began. It shares a twice-daily ferry link with Metlakatla. Non-essential travel to and from the reserve is currently restricted, and even essential workers are required to quarantine for five days. Lockdown restrictions were projected to end on Monday. I'm Eric Stone. The National Congress of American Indians is hosting its 2020 annual convention and marketplace virtually this week. The six-day event includes discussions on COVID-19, economic recovery, the native vote, Indian mascots, and many other topics. The focus of this year's convention is truth and reconciliation to explore the state of tribal sovereignty and government-to-government relationships with the United States. The virtual marketplace features arts and crafts, tribal entities, nonprofits, and government agencies. A cultural night will be hosted by the affiliated tribes of the Northwest Indians. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by the Center for Indigenous Cancer Research at Roswell Park Comprehensive Cancer Center dedicated to cancer research, medicine, and cancer care for indigenous populations. A no-charge online risk assessment tool is available at roswellpark.org slash assessme. A review of scientific literature out this week found that using a cell phone for more than a thousand hours raises your risk of developing a tumor by up to 60 percent. Experts from Berkeley and Seoul, South Korea, reviewed 46 studies on cell phone radiation and concluded that pressing a cell phone to your ear for 17 minutes a day for a decade is hazardous. Dr. Joel Moskowitz with UC Berkeley says people should never hold a cell phone to their head. People should protect themselves by not keeping the phone on their body or near their head, particularly when making a call. 
but also whenever the phone's turned on, it shouldn't be kept near the body. The study found that heavy cell use can increase the risk of several types of brain tumors. The Federal Communications Commission says its tests show that normal cell phone use is safe. The FCC recently intervened in favor of the cell phone industry in two lawsuits. One suit alleged that iPhones on the market emit more radiation than the legal limits, but a federal judge accepted the FCC's test, which showed the iPhones in compliance. Moskowitz argues that the agency's radiation standards and testing procedures are 30 years old and should be revised. The FCC claims that it's providing sufficient health warnings to the public, yet it's extremely difficult to find any health warnings if one goes to the FCC website. In fact, they've been covering up for the industry along with other government agencies for well more than a decade. In a separate case, a federal judge recently ruled that the city of Berkeley cannot require stores that sell mobile devices to post a safety notice. The notice would have advised people that when carrying the phone in a pants or shirt pocket or tucked into a bra, they may exceed federal guidelines for exposure. For Public News Service, I'm Suzanne Potter. Nearly 10 million people in the United States have been infected with the coronavirus. And the spread right now is dangerously high. Over the weekend, new daily cases soared above 126,000. That is the highest yet since the beginning of this pandemic. We know the Trump administration's response, but what is President-elect Joe Biden's COVID-19 plan? Biden's team is promising to be ready on day one. Let's talk about all of this with NPR's Allison Aubrey, who is here as she is most Mondays. Hi, Allison. Good morning, David. Let's get the big picture first. I mean, how, how bad is this right now? You know, the U.S. is averaging more than 100,000 new, new cases per day. That is more than a 50% increase, David, just compared to late October, a few weeks back. About 1,000 people a day are dying from COVID in the U.S. in recent days. And as hospitalizations rise, there's pressure on hospital systems around the country. Uh, here's former FDA Commissioner Scott Gottlieb. He was on CBS yesterday. We're going to have a record number of hospitalizations this week. Now 56,000 people are hospitalized, 11,000 are in the ICU. These are very big numbers nationally, and it's accelerating very quickly. And we have not yet hit the peak of this surge, David. Well, and the surge is happening when we're having a leadership transition in our country. President-elect Biden, I mean, he spoke about the urgency of this over the weekend in, in his victory speech. I mean, what do you know so far about his team's plan? Well, the president-elect is well aware of the direction the nation is headed. Here he is. Daily cases are skyrocketing, and it's now believed that we could spike, see as many as 200,000 cases in a single day. The death toll is approaching 240,000 lives lost to this virus. That's 240,000 empty chairs, kitchen tables, and dining room tables all across America. And today, the Biden-Harris transition team has just named a group of scientists and experts to a COVID task force. It will be co-chaired by Dr. Vivek Murthy, a former U.S. Surgeon General, and Dr. David Kessler, a former FDA commissioner. And I mean, action obviously is important. So is messaging, as we've learned through this public health crisis all this year. But when it comes to January, I mean, what sort of actions might we see here? 
Well, for starters, mask mandates nationwide. Biden plans to work with governors and mayors to do this. Biden has said he will direct scientists at the CDC to set evidence-based guidance to help limit outbreaks so that leaders in every state, every community are operating under the same standards in a much more unified way. He's also calling for significant investments in vaccine distribution, something many governors have been asking for. And he's calling for a major ramp up in testing just before the election. I spoke to Dr. Vivek Murthy, who will co-chair Biden's task force. He says testing is a key priority. He wants to expand our testing capacity to ensure that people have access to reliable and affordable testing when they need it, and not just diagnostic testing, but also screening testing so that we can better open up schools and workplaces and other settings which have remained shut down. And in addition to testing, David, comes tracing, right? The Biden team envisions the creation of a public health workforce, some 100,000 people or so, to carry out contact tracing and other tasks to help communities hit hard by COVID and to get the U.S. where it needs to be with test trace nicely to slow the spread here. I mean, this is like night and day. We, we had a president, we have a president who, I mean, has basically said that you can't take strong, aggressive action right now because it could damage the economy. I mean, that that's the balance that, that he sees. Now we have Biden who is basically saying, let's be as a, a, aggressive as possible because we have to confront this. I mean, what do public health experts say about such a shift in a moment like this? You know, I spoke to physician Zeke Emanuel. He has briefed Biden on health policy. He worked with Biden in the past. Um, I spoke to him just before the election. He said, in a Biden administration, expect this huge change, what you just said, David, aimed at a more unified and coordinated approach. You'll see close work with states and the use of federal resources to get all the states singing from the same hymnal so that we don't have what has transpired, which is different states doing different things, and much more detailed guidance that the CDC normally develops for, like, how to open schools, how to open businesses. We may also see a national pandemic dashboard, so a single site that everyone around the country could check to see the level of spread in their community or zip code. Hmm. Let me ask you about another possible change. I mean, you have a president coming in, who a president-elect who, who has talked about Expanding access to health insurance. I think about a lot of Americans who've lost their jobs and their employer-sponsored health care plans. I mean, how does Biden plan to address that? You know, he has proposed the federal government cover 100% of the cost of COBRA coverage uh, for the duration of this crisis. So when people lose their employer-based health insurance, they could stay on that insurance amid the pandemic. In addition, Biden's folks say he'd like to strengthen the Affordable Care Act, expanding coverage by making people eligible uh, for premium subsidies, more people eligible. During the campaign, Biden also proposed making Medicare coverage available to Americans beginning at age 60 instead of 65. And during the pandemic, several governors, David, have asked Trump to open, reopen the federal Obamacare marketplaces for a special enrollment period. This has not happened. Biden's advisors have told me this is something he could do immediately uh, after his inauguration. I mean, just Thinking broadly, our country is so divided right now. I mean, there was this this national AP poll of those who voted in the presidential election among voters who said the pandemic is totally or mostly under control. Ninety one percent voted for President Trump. Um, how right. do you bridge this divide? 
You know, I've been talking to public health experts and to Dr. Robert Wynn, a physician in Richmond, Virginia, about this. He's been advising communities on just how to get people to follow evidence-based recommendations. And basically, this is the deal. In order to get people to change their behavior, you need to do three things. You need to give them information, say the information or the studies to show masks can help save lives. B, you, they have to have the wherewithal or the means. You need to be able to buy a mask and remember to wear it. And C, you got to motivate people. And this has been the challenge. David, there are competing values and competing realities when it comes to mask wearing. Uh, when people view masks as an infringement of personal freedom, Wynne says this has made it harder to manage the pandemic. We are living in two separate worlds. And I think that that is a symptom of the lack of leadership. When you have mixed messages coming out of the CDC, how can one fault people with alternative facts? So I think Biden offers us an opportunity now for many people to regain trust back in the federal government. And Biden advisors say that starts by putting scientists first and giving people clear, consistent guidance. NPR's Allison Aubrey. Allison, thank you as always. Thank you, David. Closing out today's newscast, we have Jim Hightower with a commentary. Let's say you're a millionaire. That's a lot of money, right? Now let's say you're a billionaire. That's a lot more money, but how much more? Think of all those dollars as seconds on a clock. A million seconds would total 11 days, but a billion seconds equals nearly 32 years. Rich is nice, but billionaire rich is over the moon. And the wealth of billionaires is now zooming out of this world. There are only 2,200 of these uber-rich dudes in the world, but the wealth stashed away by these elites hit a new record this summer, averaging more than $4 billion each. On average, they've even pocketed an extra half billion bucks in the midst of the COVID-19 economic crash. Bear in mind that these fortunate few did nothing to earn this haul. They didn't work harder, didn't get one digit smarter didn't create some new breakthrough product to benefit humankind. They just cranked back in their gold-plated lazy boys and let their money make money for them. Then there are multimillionaire corporate chieftains who are cashing in on their own failure, having closed stores throughout America, fired thousands of workers, stiff suppliers and creditors, taken bailout money from taxpayers, and even led their corporations into bankruptcy. The CEOs of such collapsing giants as Hertz, JCPenney, and Toys R Us have grabbed millions of dollars in, believe it or not, bonus payments. The typical employee at JCPenney, for example, is held to part-time work, making under $12,000 a year. Thousands of them are now losing even that miserly income as the once mighty retailer is shutting 154 stores. Yet, the CEO was paid a $4.5 million cash bonus before the company filed for bankruptcy this year. This is Jim Hightower saying, and still the corporate establishment wonders why the people consider it a club of heartless, greedy bastards. Hightower's commentaries are brought to you by the Hightower Lowdown, the monthly newsletter with Hightower's take on what Wall Street and Washington are up to. For information, visit HightowerLowdown.org. That's our newscast for this evening. 
KVMR's Evening News airs Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. and is produced by Emory Audio Productions. If you've heard something on this newscast you'd like to hear again, you can go to kvmr.org where you can listen on demand. Coming up next, we bring you Wings and at 7, Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. For Emory Audio Productions, I'm Charlotte Peterson, wishing you a fabulous evening. Ha 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 ha!